Hi, this is Dr. Mike Carberry with AMI Today. We have another issue we're putting out today, and we have a special guest we're talking to. It's Joshua Massengill. Josh, welcome to AMI Today. Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, Josh is the uh, one of the attorneys. His law firm that he is with represents the Ten Texas Chiropractic Association, and um, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, battling in Texas over the years. I've heard of this for a number of years, but... Um, you're going to hear to talk to us about a decision that was finally handed handed down uh, by the Supreme Court of Texas, which was in favor of the chiropractor. So we're always glad to, to pass along news that is favorable to chiropractors. We're going to get into all that in just a minute, but let's talk about a little bit about your firm and you. You were actually uh, came to my attention a few years back when um, basically the name that was associated with it, not necessarily your firm, but your name was associated with getting chiropractors to have the right to own a medical practice in the state of Texas. And that happened how many years ago, Josh? Well, that was 2017. And so that was a, a big initiative that the Texas Chiropractic Association had pushed for really a number of years. But in 2017, they passed a bill, it was Senate Bill 679. And it's the one that uh, sort of carved out an exemption in the corporate practice of medicine to allow chiropractors to partially own a medical practice. So to jointly own and operate uh, and a medical it, clinic. Did they spell out what percentage that had to be or could be? Or You know, the law doesn't speak to percentages. It just contemplates uh, joint practice by various professionals. And the, the law actually had previously existed for podiatrists uh, and I believe optometrists. Um, and so what we did basically was just, you know, drop chiropractors into that same statute to allow them to you know, jointly operate a healthcare entity. Which in, in fact, most states, they do allow that. Um, it, they didn't when I first started in integration back in Pennsylvania in the uh, mid nineties. Um, but quickly after that, I, Pennsylvania was in the process of examining that um, ownership level themselves. And it was unclear. And what happened was when I first um, changed my ownership to own the practice, then about a year later, my attorney, who was a state board attorney or, or a state association attorney in Pennsylvania, said, maybe we should have it so that uh, the medical doctor owns 10% um, to show that it actually is a joint practice. So we did that. And now, uh, years later, the state of Pennsylvania says that's the law, that the uh, medical doctor has to own at least 10%. So I feel like I had something to do with that. Um, <laughs> You're a trendsetter. Well, yeah, it, it varies quite a bit state to state. Um, and that's one of the things I always caution clients about if they're coming from a different state or if they're planning on opening a clinic in an adjoining state is that these laws are they're very you know state specific. And Texas is one of the states that for a long time really clung to that corporate practice of medicine doctrine, you know, and uh, so it's, it's stronger here than it is in most states. Yeah. Well, I know the Texas Medical Board is apparently very strong medical board, um, but maybe not right now, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, but so, you know, the thing when that happened in 2017, I know that chiropractors could um, run a medical practice as long as they didn't practice medicine, which was what we always uh, stressed, that they were not violating the Corporate Practice Medicine Act by telling the practitioners, the medical practitioners, how to diagnose or how to treat but by offering a venue and they would be in a management role situation because they couldn't own. And when that law passed, all of a sudden chiropractors could own. And I know a lot of our guys own like 90% of a, a medical practice, which is great. And it's great that the medical doctors are, are participating because what we've seen is a lot of reach over the years from medical practitioners to be involved in something less drug oriented and certainly to avoid opioids, which is a big push that we have trying to get away from the opioid 
and doing some of the more conservative things that have been proven to work that would prevent surgeries and, and prevent an opioid. So that was a really good thing that you brought to the table. And uh, that's how I first met you. And you've been nothing but a but a superhero for chiropractors ever since. Every time I, I hear something in Texas, you, you're right in the middle of it. So um, it's good to have you on our show. What is the name of your firm, by the way? Massengill Attorneys and Counselors at Law. There you go. And you're in Dallas or in Austin? We're actually in the Austin area. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, so, but you have clients all over the state? Yeah, we service clients all over Texas. Okay, good. All right, so then what happened was, uh, you said about 15 years ago, the Texas Medical Association, TMA? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the trade group, TMA. Actually started uh, a little turf war against uh, chiropractors and what their scope could be. And that battle went on for 15 years, correct? Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, really. I mean, so TMA, which is distinct from the board, so we're talking about the trade group, uh, they're very litigious. And um, suing licensing boards is, is sort of a hobby of theirs. Um, they filed lawsuits against the marriage and family therapist in Texas, lawsuits against the podiatrist about you know how high up the leg, the ankle technically goes. So they're very uh, conscious of their turf and they're, they're very litigious. And I believe 15 years ago is kind of when this latest round of lawsuits started. And it's morphed and changed a little as it's developed. Um, you know, initially there was a question about whether chiropractors could diagnose that kind of fell by the wayside when we solved that legislatively in 2019 or yeah i remember that was a big issue i remember all the chiropractors saying to me oh it's all over we're losing our ability to diagnose i'm like no i don't think so i think we have a fight here um yeah yeah well we you know luckily that didn't really have to be resolved in the courts because you know we were able to kind of clarify that in statute which sort of made made that a, a moot point but the nerve issue is the one that really endured. And so um, what the medical association had alleged is that because the chiropractic act in Texas doesn't specifically use the word nerves or nervous system, that, that was off limits to chiropractors. And so they had challenged uh, some board rules. One of them was uh, the board's definition of the subluxation complex as including nerves. Uh, the board's definition of the musculoskeletal system as including associated nerves, and then uh, a rule that they had about VONT testing, uh, vestibular ocular nystagmus testing, which is a specialized sort of test that I think, frankly, only two chiropractors in the state of Texas were actually doing, but it is a neurological test. And so TMA challenged those rules as saying, you know, that's outside the scope of chiropractic because the statute doesn't specifically say you can treat nerves. Now, Anybody who knows anything about chiropractic can see how ridiculous that is. I mean, you take even something like sciatica, that's a nerve disorder, you know? So if a chiropractor can't treat sciatica, I don't know exactly what that leaves, you know? So we, right. we just felt very strongly that um, as the court ended up kind of deciding that TMA was making too much of too little, that they were just, they were really um, off base. And so we clung to that. We lost at the trial court. We lost at the uh, third court of appeals. But ultimately, the Texas Supreme Court uh, sided with TCA and the, and the board of examiners. So we're so tell alive. me a little bit about the lower court's decisions. I mean, when did that occur? How long did this fight go on? What did the court justify by saying that they they lost? And what was that going to imply to chiropractors? Gosh, yeah, I'm trying to think. So the the trial court. I mean, this was you know several years ago, um, and it you know if you read that opinion you know, and, and you know what you're talking about, <laughs> you'd, 
you probably would just chuckle at it because it just was pretty absurd. Similarly, the third court of appeals ruling, I mean, it was riddled with typos and it just, it did not, we, we felt did not really reflect the reality of, of what chiropractic was. But the danger was of course, that if, if a chiropractor can't treat any nerve disorder, you know, what, what would that leave? So the, most of the CPT codes, for example, that uh, chiropractors bill when they bill insurance are listed, you know, by the AMA, no less, Mm-hmm. as codes that are, you know, affect neurophysiological function. And, you know, it talks about, you know, even the AMA recognizes sort of a neuro component to what chiropractors are doing. And so it seemed to me that part of what was going on was an attack on chiropractors' ability to bill insurance. And that's similar to what we'd seen in the diagnosis battle. You know, if you can't diagnose, you can't bill insurance. That's right. And so I think it was less about sort of an academic exercise about where chiropractic begins and ends and more about just a wholesale attack on the profession, on your ability to bill insurance and kind of do what you do on a daily basis. So would you say that this whole fight, it was the same lawsuit, including the diagnosis thing and the uh, scope of practice or are these separate lawsuits? Or Well, there were separate lawsuits ultimately, um, ended up just being sort of one lawsuit at the Supreme Court uh, that we that we were fighting. And when was that decided? Oh, gosh, uh, maybe a month ago. Yeah, okay, that's so this the is decision. Yeah, it's very fresh. Yeah. So basically, the win is we get to keep doing things the way we were, or there's nothing new that we can do now. Well, I, I don't know that there's anything new, but it definitely preserves the status quo. I mean, um, you know, I Nobody likes to run around and, and say that the sky is falling, but the danger to chiropractic, in my opinion, was 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 very real. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I don't think I'm speaking at a school to say that the, some of the chiropractic colleges in Texas were looking at real estate in other states, you know, making really? contingency plans, you know, that they might have to to move. So the, the danger was very, very real. I mean, I, I think it was an existential threat. And I think now it's it's been completely neutralized. I mean, really, our attorneys have analyzed everything, and we just don't see any way that uh, TMA could make this argument about nerves again. We think that issue is definitively settled. When, when did this actually go over to the Texas um, Court of Appeals or the, the, the Supreme Court of Texas, actually? Well, so the Supreme Court took up the case, gosh, uh, maybe a year ago. Um, they heard the case. Um, in, I want to say maybe September of last year. And it really left us in a sort of a difficult position because you don't know exactly when, uh, you know, when the decision is going to come out. So they take a case, they hear it, and then it's just sort of a waiting game. And so we had sort of anticipated that we might not get an answer, you know, about the, the ruling in this case until maybe April, May, or even June of this year. And of course, the danger was that by then the legislative session might be over. And if we got a, an opinion that wasn't favorable, that, uh, that was gonna, yeah. we'd have to wait to fight it. And um, so w- we were in a really tricky position. And thankfully, the court uh, saw the light and just uh, solved the problem for us. Right. When did you realize that was happening? When they came out with their decision or did you get indications ahead of time? Yeah, there, there were no indications ahead of time. Um, I, we got a, a text from a, a colleague who said, I think we have an opinion. And I was holding my phone and my hands were literally trembling as I was trying to look up the opinion to see, you know, I'm scrolling to the end to see, you know, what the decision was. Um, 
and then you read it and you're like, okay, and let me read this again to make sure it says <laughs> what I think, what I it, think says. it said. Yeah. But it was, it was just a fantastic day for chiropractic. And, you know, you think about how long this has been going on a decade and a half. I mean, there are people that have been in practice in Texas for 15 years and the entire time they've been in practice, this has been hanging over their head. Right. So to have this resolved definitively, man, it's just, it's a, it's a good day. Oh, let me ask you some questions about the Texas Medical Association and the difference between them and the board. So the medical board, I, I was under the impression that the chiropractic board falls under the medical board in the state of Texas. Is that accurate or is that not accurate? No, that's not accurate. It, some states have like a unified board structure. I mean, every state kind of does it differently. Um, in Texas, we have separate medical boards. Uh, we, uh, we have a chiropractic board. Um, you know, the nurses have a nursing board. So there's a division there. And what this lawsuit had actually been brought by the Texas Medical Association. So their, their trade group, not the government entity. Right. So would you say that the chiropractic board and the medical board have a good relationship or a neutral relationship or antagonistic relationship? You know, I don't know. I, I guess I couldn't speak for how the boards relate to each other. What I will say is that, you know, we've always had in Texas some trouble with the, the Texas medical board sort of pursuing practitioners who are not their licensees. So in a, in a technical sense, if a chiropractor exceeds the scope of chiropractic practice you know they do something that's out of bounds mm -hmm. you know technically that that sort of puts you over in medical board territory that's practicing medicine without a license right but our argument has always been that the legislature clearly intended when they set up a chiropractic board for the chiropractic board to be the entity that you know is policing what is and isn't chiropractic and so there's been you know, some troubling cases of the medical board pursuing chiropractors, you know, off and on. Um, but in, in terms of how those boards relate to each other, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can speak to that. Okay, so then if I were to ask you the Texas Medical Association and their relationship with the Texas Medical Board, do you have any indication of what, what goes on there? Are they friendly? Do they work together? Do they help each other? Do they fight each other? Do they ignore you know, each other? I I think it's probably a mixed bag. I mean, you know, the, an association and the, the licensing agency, they have different roles. Um, so, you know, I'm, it's like even on the chiropractic side, we have a, a friendly relationship with our board. We try to work collaboratively, but we don't always see eye to eye. And I think it's probably the same for the medical association. Okay. There was some, um, some grief about nurse practitioners in Texas a couple of years ago. Was that coming from the board or from the medical association? Well, I'd, I'd have to look at specifically what you're referencing, but I mean, there, there's always sort of this tension, you know, between the nurse practitioners um, and, and the physicians. Uh, nurse practitioners in Texas have been making a push. Even now, I think they have bills in the legislature to practice more and more independently. Mm -hmm. It's not something generally that, that TMA is in favor of. But they're the nursing board, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, so the nursing board governs, obviously, the, the nurse practitioners, um, and they don't always interpret the rules the same way that the medical board does. So we, we see some, uh, I've, I've seen that cause problems in the past. Okay, so then this medical association, the Texas Medical Association, are, where do they get their power from? Do they have mem high membership of medical doctors? Or are they, I mean, 
Yeah, they have very high membership. As a matter of fact, I told a, a story recently that I encountered one of their lobbyists in the in the hallways of the Capitol. We were kind of having a, a friendly conversation, and he ended up he pointed to this pin that he had on his jacket, and it said fifty thousand strong. And he said, "Well, this is this is why we're going to win, <laughs> you know, because they have fifty thousand members in Texas, so they do have, right. you know, very high membership and and." you know, generally they're regarded as the most powerful lobbying force in Texas. So they, right. they're very strong. I think, again, generally regarded as probably the strongest of the state medical associations. Yeah, because, and it sounds like it is because there's probably only about 60,000 chiropractors in the whole country. And I know that the <laughs> AMA has a lot of power, but they don't have a lot of membership. The AMA is below 8% membership and they've actually done some things to cover that up. Well, yeah, and that's, that's one of the things about AMA that I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, my understanding is a lot of their uh, sort of power and income comes from royalties off the CPT code, you know, which the, the government has sort of granted them a monopoly with. Yep. Um, bottom line is it's a, we're talking about a very powerful foe that is very litigious and very sensitive to their turf being invaded by other practitioners. Okay, so the reason I'm asking you these questions is the next question, which I know a lot of our listeners are going to have, is what's going to prevent them from doing another thing against us? And if they and if they do, what do you think they would do? That's a good question, and that's that's the one that we've been asked, uh, you know, over and over. With respect to nerve, I, I do believe that the nerve issue is settled definitively in Texas. I mean, the opinion was so solid. Um, I think that issue has been put to rest. Similarly, you know, the diagnosis issue, we fixed that legislatively. It's in the statute. We feel safe there. Um, you know, what the next thing will be, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but I, uh, we do expect something else. I mean, it, you know, they're not going to give up overnight on this. Um, chiropractors, because, you know, you treat the, the whole body and because uh, you have direct access to patients, uh, you know, you don't need a referral. Chiropractors are a unique market threat to, to physicians. And so, you know, we're always going to be um, sort of the target of, of TMA. Yeah, I know around the country, there's been a great drop off of physicians in the profession. Uh, like right now, if you talk to most medical schools, they can't get enough students to join as a family practitioner or an internal medicine doctor and sure. there's government um subsidies for people who decide to do that um and then i know my nephew just graduated from medical school in florida and uh, he said that there was um you know a lot of warnings from the professors not to join the ama because it really represented the interests of the drug companies and the insurance companies and um so he said none of his classmates joined they actually uh, resisted the the bribes and the, uh, you know, <laughs> gift cards they were giving the them and the, part, the parties they were throwing them. Exactly. He said, that's what they were doing. Um, so apparently Texas has a different following. If they have 50,000 strong, what are they doing? I mean, how do they do the, all the doctors in Texas, not like chiropractors or. No, as a matter of fact, I, I think I, I don't see that at all. I think that membership probably just has to do with, um, you know, some of the ancillary benefits that come with that, you know, malpractice insurance discounts and things like that. Uh, you know, the profession just has a long history of, um, of membership in their state association. But the funny thing about these fights between TMA and, and the, you know, the board of examiners is that they really are sort of this peculiar thing that exists in Austin and that people outside of the state capital really don't care about. 
So, I mean, my, my clients that, you know, operate integrated practices, they obviously are collaborating with, with physicians on a daily basis. I mean, basically every chiropractor I know has a friendly referral relationship with physicians in their area. So I don't think the problem isn't physicians, right? The problem is a very litigious state association that I think takes unreasonable stances on some of these issues and, you know, frankly abuses their power. But the problem again, is not, it's not just the physicians on, on the ground. I mean, I, I don't see that animus extending to the membership. I just think it's, it's an Austin thing. Right. So I, you know, I guess the reason I'm asking these questions, I know with the AMA, if they're getting their funding from outside sources, because there, there's arguments that they don't have enough dues coming in to keep them functioning, but they're a very, very powerful group. And it's those other industries that are funding them to keep their uh, voice there representing. But if, if it's, if, if the Texas Medical Association is getting their power from their rank and file membership, and they just keep turning around and pissing everybody off by attacking the nurse practitioners and the podiatrists and the chiropractors. And eventually I would think that some of those medical doctors would start saying, Hey, why don't you guys cool your jets? You know, we're here to help people. So are they, why don't we all get along? Man, you, yeah, you would, you would think so. And I would hope that that would become the case more and more. You know, the, the irony is TCA has had TMA members come and testify on its behalf at, at the legislature before. I mean, we've had wow. board certified world-class neurosurgeons who are TMA members, you know, testify on our behalf. We had a neurosurgeon named Dr. Paul Harris last session that testified at the legislature and, and it was, it's beautiful. I've got it recorded and I just watch it sometimes <laughs> for no reason. Wow. He just says like, this is, this is crazy. Like this, yeah. this is crazy. Please fix this. You know? So Again, I, I think that there's a lot of support for our cause, even among TMA membership. Right. See, I think that, the, and, and as you know, with AMI, what our whole thrust is, is we think that all of the non-invasive procedures for the most common ailment that people have, which is basically pain, and, and you can narrow that down to back pain, but we're looking at more than just that. We're looking at pain from any orthopedic uh, problem or, or chronic degenerative problem. And we're trying to handle that pain without resorting to things like opioids or anti-inflammatories or drugs that could be not only potentially harmful, they are harmful. And then trying to help people avoid that path of surgery, which has such a, a high uh, failure rate. And like, I think it's 75% of back surgeries have to be repeated in two years and it's expensive and it's invasive and you can't undo it. So our whole thrust is let's get the practitioners to work together. Now, if people are not familiar with AMI, our stance is based on the idea my wife's a PT who worked in an integrated fashion in hospitals doing head injury. So we copied that model where we have the medical uh, clinician, the head, the lead license in the office, leading a team meeting twice a day and collaborating with the other practitioners, including the chiropractors on what's the best thing for this patient and getting the input from the different levels, but then the final decisions made by the medical person. We tell the chiropractors that are our clients, you cannot tell them how to diagnose, you cannot tell them how to treat, but you can create venues. Like for example, one of the things we do is we don't create a family practice because our malpractice rates are relatively low because we're not prescribing drugs. So we can tell a nurse practitioner or an MD that works with us, listen, if they need cholesterol medication, if they need blood pressure medication, we need to refer them back to their primary because if we refer that here, our malpractice rates are gonna go up. Um, right. But we're not telling them that they don't need those medications. We're just saying in this venue, we don't want to do that. We want to do more uh, non-invasive things. We don't want to prescribe opioids. If they need that, send them somewhere they can. But what we're going to do is we're going to do 
very benign injections with lidocaine, procaine, the stuff that Janet Travell did with John F. Kennedy back in the 60s that worked extremely well. And we're going to do, um, you know, bracing if somebody needs it. We're going to do uh, rehab if somebody needs a chiropractic. And, and most people do need it. Well, most people coming in have pain benefit from chiropractic. So uh, these patients are getting that in a medical setting. And the, the beauty of the model is, well, first of all, it's perfectly consistent with, with the law here in Texas. I mean, you know, the, the act that says that you can, you know, a chiropractor can own part of a, a medical practice, it clearly says you have to stay in your own lane. I mean, you can't dictate the, the treatment decisions of, of another professional. So stay in your lane. But, you know, the chiropractic board has rules that say that a, a chiropractor must refer out you know, if they, if they see a problem that sort of is outside the bounds of chiropractic, they have an affirmative duty to help, you know, get that patient where they need to go. Well, that's a lot easier if the person they need to see is, is in the office next door, you know, so right. it's, it's a beautiful model. And just to give you um, a metaphor from the legal world, you know, if I've got a client that has a, a particularly complex legal problem that we're trying to solve, I almost always insist, let's, let's all get on a call, bring your CPA, bring your business advisor, let, put me on there, and let's all, let's collaborate to try to figure this out. Because if you don't do that, then the client is in this really difficult position where they're trying to play telephone and translate what the CPA told them to me. And, and it's just, it's a mess. And I think that metaphor sort of translates kind of over to, to what you guys are doing. You know, when you have that sort of collaboration, what you end up with is more than the sum of its parts. Exactly. You know, I, I was training some of our coaches last night and I, I said, they were asking me, well, what tools do we use to, to get these patients well? So we listed them out. And I said, you list them out for me. And I listed them all out and I wrote them on the board as they told them to me. And um, basically I said, the beauty of this is not any one of these tools. I, because the question was, which is the most important tool? And I go, the most important tool is the one they need the most. <laughs> you know, every patient is different. And you have to evaluate every case based on what they're presenting. And, but I said, but the fact that we have them all in one place and they can be utilized in tangent as necessary is what makes it worth more than some of its parts. Um, so we, we've seen that we've been, my wife and I've been doing this for 25 years and have seen cases respond that we never thought would respond. And um, it, it's just a beautiful model. And it, it, is it gonna replace every surgery? No, but we'll cut down on a lot of surgeries, yes. And not just back surgeries, because we're now looking at people that are dealing with knee problems. And there's a lot we can do with that with hyaluronic acid and lidocaine or procaine injections, uh, which just by itself, putting fluid in the joint can break adhesions and give you a window of opportunity to rehabilitate that joint. And then you combine that with the chiropractic, with the um, you know balancing of the pelvis. Maybe if they have a, a degenerated knee on the medial side, they can have an offloading brace to give them pain relief without drugs. And then, you know, if we're using human cellular tissue products in there and people seem to respond better when they get that, well, we're going to use that as the fluid in the joint for cushioning and, and see that uh, the patient does better. And when we, we come with these outcomes, you know, my medical doctor in Chattanooga said one year, he said, you know, I think you prevented between three and 500 knee replacement surgeries in this city. Um, in the last two years, I was like, Wow, that's a lot. He goes, because I'm looking at the notes and it's incredible what these patients are saying at the end of their care plan, that they don't need to get surgery, that they're able to do things they couldn't do before. Um, and that's what it's all about. You know, working together is always more beneficial than working against each other. It's a shame 
when I hear of a group like the Texas Medical Association just coming back with thing after thing after thing after thing, instead of saying, hey, why don't we work together and get the patient, which is the reason we're all here anyway, let's get the patient better instead of like, let's have a big turf war so nobody steps on our turf. Right. You know, it's yeah. not about the turf, it's about the patient. Well, and frankly, that, that's just one of the reasons that I've always just been very proud to, to work with TCA is that they are, they are an association that is patient focused. And uh, that manifests itself in a number of ways. But when, when I like to believe that when we walk in on their behalf and are talking to members of the legislature and things like that, that they understand that we're there uh, to do what's best for Texans and patients in Texas and not just, you know, chiropractors pocketbooks. Yeah, I agree. So Josh, um, it was a real pleasure having you on today. How, if somebody says, hey, that's an attorney I want to work with, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, you can give us a call. Uh, number is 512-410-0343. Or you can shoot me an email. It's josh at jm.legal. No.com, no.net, just josh at jm.legal. Uh, or you can check out our website, jm.legal. Okay, good. Well, I will encourage everybody in Texas to do that. It's good to have friends like you in uh, powerful positions that can help us and protect us. I really feel like that is what you do for chiropractors. You protect the chiropractic profession, you've done quite a number of things in just the five years I've known you, which impresses the heck out of me. And I'm proud to be <laughs> somebody that I can claim to have you as my friend. Well, thank you very much. I had a small part in it, but it was my, my pleasure to do it. Um, really, I, I'm always happy to come talk to you when there's good news. Good. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking an awful lot in the future then. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank okay, you, doctor. Josh. I appreciate good it. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Mike Carberry with AMI Today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.